Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And tonight, returning to the pod, we have a special guest, James Jacobs. Hey, how's it going? Awesome, awesome. So, Tyler, what is happening? Well, uh, we have our friend James Jacobs back on the podcast. Uh, We had James on very recently to talk about Crown of the Kobold King. And tonight we're going to talk about Kingmaker, which was recently remade for Pathfinder 2E, but has a a decade plus history in the game. And I'm excited to dig into, you know, what's old, what's new and what's in the adventure. Awesome. So let's let's hop into it. So the the history of Kingmaker, uh, we're excited to see it in Pathfinder Two, but of course it was originally a Pathfinder One release. Yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, it was um, the second one we did for the the Pathfinder uh, role playing game back when we first started doing that stuff. The first one, of, the first adventure path we did, of course, was Council of Thieves. We had to create that one at the same time the rules themselves were being finalized, so we were still kind of finding our way. So. In a lot of ways, Kingmaker being the second adventure path was really the, the first adventure path where we were really knew our way around the rules. So uh, it came out a billion years ago <laughs> and uh, about a uh, little over 10 years ago, I think, was the first first release, first edition Pathfinder release. Yeah. And, and it was uh, Papyrus, uh, the Gutenberg Press, and then yeah. Kingmaker, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was the order. There were stone tablets in there, too, somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's it came out right at the start of the Pathfinder RPG, pretty much. Awesome. And then be, beyond that, right, uh, it's had the success. There was a video game put out, and if you yeah. haven't played it, it's a fantastic game. You know, there's there's a rich history of what Kingmaker has been, and so of course, it's really excited to see it coming to Pathfinder too. Yeah, it was uh, the the original genesis of it was a lot of people were asking for sort of a sandbox uh, adventure or an adventure where there wasn't an obvious main villain going all the way through for people to kind of find their own way. And we were really intrigued by that challenge because we'd always done adventure paths before with really hardware plots and villains and all of that, that kind of uh, were all the way through. So it was, it was a pretty popular uh, adventure path. It had a uh, kingdom rules and city building rules and all sorts of different elements, different ways to play the game, which a lot of people really liked. And it was intentional because we wanted to show off the new, uh, first edition pathfinder rules at the point to show like you can do more than fighting you can build kingdoms you can run cities you can even do like a narrative mass combat element for it so it was really tr- stretching the the rules of the new game for us to a certain extent now how was all that received when it first came out because like the the city building and kingdom management like that that's already a lot of really cool new stuff on what was at the time a pretty young game yeah i, I feel like People really, really were excited by it. We were still kind of riding high on the whole, you know, the playtest for Pathfinder went on for about a year. and People were already excited about that. And giving them something so unusual and unique so soon after the game launched, I think a lot of people were really, really, really digging it. As time went on, we started hearing about people were finding ways to, of course, you know, build broken kingdoms or, or do weird things with the rules. Like there was one element where you could build, like if you built like 10 graveyards in your city, you didn't have unrest or something weird like that. And uh, <laughs> so the it was, world, but you, yeah, I mean, people were having a lot of fun with it because it let them play the game that they, you know, that they've been playing already for, for years in a really fun new way. It ended up being one of our most popular adventure paths, you know, which is why you've seen it. It, it inspired actually Pathfinder Online originally, and then went on to inspire uh, the Owlcat game, the uh, Kingmaker version. 
it's probably second only to Rise of the Runelodge, I think, in overall popularity, I would say. Yeah, I'd say, and I'd say justifiably. Okay, so let's talk about the remake. So I saw this and like I saw the announcement through Reddit when the crowdfunding campaign first started up in, I want to say 2019. Do I have that date right? Yeah, it was about the same time we were doing the second edition. So that's really ambitious. Like the you're creating the second edition of the game and you're rebooting a popular adventure path and like via crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. So can I ask, why did you guys opt for crowdfunding? Because generally that's not how Paizo goes about creating content. Yeah, it was uh, a decision we just we we made because we knew we wanted to do a big hardcover. We've done a couple of these things before. We went, we wanted to kind of push the envelope and, and and we really wanted also to come out of the the gate strong with with Pathfinder second edition so people would see like oh we're 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 for real we're doing it for real. So to a certain extent doing a crowdfunding campaign amped up the message, you know, got more people excited. But uh, another really key part of it was that publishing and printing this thing at the same time that we're doing all of these other big books is a big deal. I mean, so when you crowdfund something, you get a pretty accurate initial number for how many books you have to print. So it's a way for us to judge what the demand is for the product uh, without having to kind of guess, because it's no good to not print enough because then you're you know leaving money on the table. If you print too much, you're spending a lot of money on things you won't sell. So. Crowdfunding is just a really, uh, it's a really good way to kind of estimate your initial print run, especially in, we found that in, in this era that, that pre-orders aren't really that much of a thing uh, anymore. People, it's, it's, I guess, a side effect maybe of everything being just so easy to order online or something. I don't know, but that was, that was the two main reasons for, for the, the, uh, you know, Ginning up the excitement and all of that, and to judge how many people were interested, really. When I guess I hear a part of that is this idea that you're already taking on risk. You know, you have Pathfinder 2 coming out, and you, you know, how quickly are folks going to be willing to migrate over? And so having that yeah. risk mitigation wrapped around this of just knowing an estimate up front probably made the whole experience a lot more comfortable. It, it is interesting the analogy you talked about before that. This was the first book that came out once the uh, first edition Pathfinder rules were set. And now again, as you're rolling out Pathfinder 2, it's once again uh, one of the first big adventures that's coming with it. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of had that same sort of challenges ahead of us. So it was a little bit better because we had more infrastructure in place, more people in the company. So there was more, you know people working on second edition and it wasn't sort of an all hands on deck across the entire company. It was, it, it, I wasn't as involved in that. So I could focus more on, on the adventure path that we were doing age of ashes and this as well. So as, as you guys were going through remaking the adventure, like what, what was that process? Like, obviously you had to update all the rules to the new system, but yeah, I don't know. At, as consumers, as players looking in from the outside, like the the whole creation process seems very opaque and mysterious to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, like you had this beloved popular adventure. How do you how did you go about bringing that into the new edition? So for the previous ones, Curse of the Crimson Throne and Rise of the Rune Lords, and even further back to Shackled City, even one of the things that I always tried to do was gather everything together, 
and then figure out where it can be expanded because it's 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 not just a reprint it's something bigger it's something more than the original version and one of the very first things that we do is I'll, I'll go through and look through like the message board posts and Reddit and other, other places on the internet just to see what people liked, what people thought were missing. The the graveyard comment before was, was one that, you know, <laughs> I, I want to build something in here so that if you do too many graveyards, what happens is you have a bigger chance of having like an undead uprising in your city. So you got to kind of balance that. It's still a, a big, a big lift because not only when you crowdfund, if you have a lot of stretch goals, that can kind of get out of control. And so we started getting additional, you know, side projects like the companion guide and a first digit investor and, and a 5e vestiary and a bunch of map packs and all this other stuff. And we had a lot of plans like we will we'll hire temps to help with stuff. We'll hire up developers to as we need. And we will contract out the initial gathering of all of the material to put it into a kind of a rough draft and to hire all of the new authors for the four new adventures we wanted to include out to legendary games. And they took all of those, all of those original adventures and kind of pulled them all out of the, 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 uh, the files and then kind of recontextualized them into word documents, added in a bunch of new content that they hired other authors to write the adventures that we wanted to do. And then they did an initial kind of development and editing pass over it to kind of give us a, a first draft of all of this content that then we could pick up and run with. And about the time that they were handing that over to us, um, we had a little pandemic. So that threw everything (laughs) into just chaos. Yep. So that was, that was exciting. It's like, let's all get in the office together and take a, no, not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's also like now, now that there's a pandemic, there's all sorts of issues with, you know, supply and it's not a good time to hire new people. So mm-hmm. you know, it was a case of, well, we don't have, we don't have the resources to, to hire new people because we don't know if we're going to make it through this, this, uh, if there's a recession or we're going to, people are still going to want to play games or, you know, it's, it's, it's a company that thrives on people getting together in a room and breathing the same air while they game and yell and scream and have fun. <laughs> and that sort of thing doesn't really work with a, you know, a, a pandemic. Fortunately, you know, virtual tabletop and stuff like that was there to, to kind of take up the slack and really shines. So at that point, it was it was a case of me taking the files legendary and turned over and kind of going back through them all and just reading through every word and adjusting to the, the new rules and kind of doing a combination development pass, edit pass, design pass to add everything into the shape it needed to be. And then those words were kicked over to Lisa Stevens and Vic Wirtz, the owners of Pies at the time. Uh, since we couldn't hire any people, they they stepped in to basically do the job themselves. Nice. And uh, then uh, from there, once everything was kind of up and up and running, we it was just a, a process of you know ordering art, uh, getting it edited, putting it all together, and uh, you know sending it off to the printer. And that, that's very reductionist because. As as you know, this this is over a thousand pages. This is more yeah. content in a, in and of itself than we published for the entire first edition or second edition rulebook. It was a lot. It was a lot of work, and um, every time it kind of shifted from like one area to another, it hit a lot of roadblocks. Like you know, the art team was like all of a sudden had a thousand plus pages to to do art for, and that was a, a, a tangle. And same with edit. And and again at this whole time they're doing the day-to-day job. So it's, it was, it was pretty tricky. 
did did a lot of art come from Pathfinder One into the Pathfinder Two, or was all the art for those thousand pages drawn anew? We reprinted a lot of the original maps. Uh, we really like uh, Robert Lazaretti did a lot of those maps, um, but a lot of the original art when we were first publishing Kingmaker, we didn't have a lot of funds to go around. We would just poured a lot of money for art into the core rulebook and the bestiary. There wasn't a lot left for Kingmaker, so there wasn't a lot we could bring forward. And it was with it was in a style that we don't really use anymore. It was more sort of, I don't want to say cartoony, but it was less painterly, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It's 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 a different style than we do today. And it, it wouldn't have matched what we were publishing. So we had to reorder almost all of the art for all of the stuff. Which is great for us because we get fresh art. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and it, it just art helps it look new just when you're look, You can do all of the revision and new content with words, but if you don't give it new art, it's not going to look new. I can definitely tell on like, I, I've seen some RPG products remade where like half of the art is new and half of it's from the original version. And you can like look at them side by side and be like, their style has changed a lot yeah. in like, <laughs> from this chapter to this chapter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Total, total whiplash. I mean, you talked about the roadblocks of, of producing this product. Uh, let, let's actually just take a moment to talk about the roadblock. Yeah. This ad break. So, Let's let's take a moment to hit reset. So we've kind of talked about the original Kingmaker mm-hmm. and what it took to get to Kingmaker for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. But let's yeah. hit reset. Let's say I'm sitting at home. I've actually never heard of Kingmaker PF1, never heard of Kingmaker PF2, never heard of Kingmaker the hit video game. What is Kingmaker? Kingmaker is an adventure path. Uh, it's a campaign for your characters for Pathfinder to go first level all the way up to 20th level. And... The plot is is basically you are given the task of going into this uncharted, unsettled wilderness and finding somewhere, you know, fighting, there's bandits in there and monsters, and you got to kind of push them back and, and, and run them off, basically, so that there's a safe place for you to found a new kingdom or empire or barony or whatever. We call it Kingmaker, but really it's left up to the players of the game. You know, if you want to be kings and queens or, or viceroys or you know, a lot of that stuff is sort of uh, placeholder names. We don't really get into the actual, I guess, uh, differences between different types of kingdoms. But yeah, you basically have to build up your kingdom. And as you expand and grow, there's this swath of wilderness called the Stolen Lands. And you have to go out and explore those there's more monsters out in the wilderness, and as your kingdom grows, you attract the attention of these monsters and bandits, and and it's sort of a, a constant mix of running your kingdom, going out into the wilderness to explore and build up your characters. Dungeons need exploring. Um, ancient treasures need, need finding. As your kingdom grows, you start attracting the attention of not just bandits, but, you know, trolls and undead and cultists and rival kingdoms. And it really starts escalating as your kingdom grows. You're starting to do a lot more basically dealing with, with invasions even and, and the threat of war. The way that you go through all of this is kind of left up to the player characters. There's not really a straight path through the plot of this book. There's, in fact, so much material in here that you'll hit 20th level if your group is a completionist type group you're going to hit 20th level a lot earlier than getting to the end of the whole thing so it's a good adventure actually if you want to run like slower experience points or even just a milestone system and of course beyond all of that there is something behind the scenes kind of 
puppeteering what's really going on. So while there doesn't appear to be a through line and a big bad in villain, there is something in the background that you're going to eventually have to deal with. That's exciting. Ominous, but exciting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We mentioned the page count right before the ad break, but uh, uh, looking across the the core adventure path book mm-hmm. and then the bestiary for 5e and the bestiary for pf1 this is over a thousand pages of text yeah that's a lot <laughs> like the the core adventure is something like 640 pages so like if you're yep. coming from your your 5e published campaigns where it's like 200 250 pages you're getting more than twice that like significantly more than twice that yeah, it's it's definitely a huge, huge, huge game. You know, there's a lot to do, and and you didn't even the the companion guide is expands it even more. That's another 128 pages of additional NPCs. That one is really where the the Alcat video game kind of inspired us to bring in those companions and their storylines. So that's another six or seven adventures you can play. A bunch of new feats and spells and, and character options you can discover. Now, were those were those NPCs in the the original version of Kingmaker, or were those uh, were they created by Owlcat? Those uh, NPCs were created by Owlcat. It was interesting because we wanted to capitalize on the popularity from the video game, but there's very specific differences between a tabletop game and a video game. And in the Owlcat version. You know, you're, it's a single-player game. So you're playing your character, you create that character, and then you recruit your party from a cast of about a dozen, 13 or so NPCs who each have really detailed stories and, and plots going along with them, and they are kind of fully integrated into the entire plot of the game. And that doesn't work as well for a tabletop game because that role is, it should be the players. So these companions ended up being sort of, you know, NPCs that will help you run your kingdom. And one at a time, they can join your group and you could go on adventures with them. So all of that content was, was it's not necessarily brand new because it's inspired and taken from the computer game. But for people who played the original first edition one, it's, it's all new content. So I'm forgetting the, uh, the Pathfinder 2 name for this, but like the idea of having a sidekick or a hireling. Yeah, it's not so much... Uh, like a follower or something like that. Okay. These are full on characters with, you know, goals and plots and, and passions and interests. And they are presented in the companion guide as equally powerful as a player character. So okay. one of the things we suggest is once you start adventuring on one of their quests, all of the adventures that they go on are built for five characters rather than four. Our normal assumption is you have four players. And so the encounters are balanced around a build of four, four in the group. So all of the companion guides, those encounters are a little bit tougher because you're going to have one extra person to help along. No, that makes good sense. Okay. And so it, it's actually cool to hear. This isn't just like skinning a sidekick and saying like, okay, you know, here's how to play mm-hmm. the flavor of it. This is fully mechanically like having another player character at the table with us. Yeah. It's this cam- uh, this companion that the companion guide is breathing life into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they, one of the NPCs is the Pathfinder iconic barbarian Amiri, if I remember her name right. Yep. Also, I've never heard it pronounced, so I'm guessing there. Yep. Um, no, you got it right. Amiri. <laughs> perfect. It's one of those things like you see it written a million times and then you try and oh, say yeah. it and you're like, wait. Yeah. 
yeah so the uh, there are character options tied into some of the npcs so like if you if you spend enough time hanging out with amiri one of the feats you can take i'm totally forgetting the name but it amounts to i've learned from amiri to be mm-hmm. too angry to die yep yep there's a <laughs> lot of fun is... little little things like it's an interesting so way to, to build on the uh, the rules too because a lot of feats are uh, in the core rulebook, it's especially they're kind of they have to be sort of specific to a. Uh, I mean, not specific; they have to be broad in their their utilization. Mm-hmm. But something like this, we can get really specific beats that are tied to their personalities, and uh, but still fun. Yeah, and I, I think you really nailed that part. Hey. <laughs> um, okay, so we we've talked about we've talked about. Um, like the campaign runs you from levels to one to 20. Mm-hmm. And if you're a completionist, so like you're doing a lot of little side quests and stuff, you're going to spend a lot of time at level 20, which uh, I feel like that's a classic problem. Like you get to level 20 and then you've got like maybe a session to play with all the fun toys at level 20. Very excited about that. We also talked a bit about the kingdom building mechanics and you talked about like the issue with graveyards and stuff. So mm-hmm. how do the kingdom management city management like how do those mechanics work in the updated adventure so the original version we based everything around kind of the economy of gold pieces and rather than have you buy everything with gold we had this kind of a vague mechanic called build points and that's because first edition pathfinder kind of balanced everything that you get that isn't part of your character it's all balanced by you know you have to spend money to get it basically and that caused a lot of problems because it's, it's this weird disconnect. Like uh, if we have a castle is worth 10,000 gold pieces, that sounds like a lot, but every player character by six level has a sword that's worth more than that. So it's a weird sort of disconnect. So a second edition, <laughs> since we moved away from that sort of kind of architecture for how to balance the, the game itself, everything is more tied to level. So when you go up in level, you get more powerful things. And it's you can still get like an 18th level sword when you're first level, but the GM will know it's an 18th level sword. They'll know that, okay, this is going to throw things off if I do this. But you can still do it. The way we approached the kingdom in this version was to build up the kingdom as if it were another character. So your kingdom, when you get it, you have to start building it like it's, uh, you have to pick a, a charter, which is kind of like picking your character's ancestry. You have to pick a heartland, which is kind of like your character's background. And you have to pick a government, which is kind of like your character's class. And the kingdom's got four ability scores as well, culture, loyalty, stability, and defense. Or I, I forget now, I'm, I'm running, <laughs> running blind, but, but you got ability scores. It's okay, scores. it's not a yeah. quiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, your kingdom's got a bunch of skills and feats, and it gains levels. So as your kingdom gains levels, it gets better at these skills and gets more feats. And it's sort of a, a shared character that the entire party uh, uh, takes responsibility for as they build up. And the, the kingdom itself is limited. It can't be higher level than your party. So you have to be... That encourages you to go out and go adventuring. So you can't just sit at home and, you know, just grind through these kingdom events and everything and get to 20th level without having to actually go out and work literally so. resting on your laurels <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and then alongside with that we have this sort of inspired somewhat by like games like civilization where you're building your cities and, and capital cities and villages and all that where there's sort of a grid that you're putting little buildings down like 
inns and taverns and temples and graveyards, like I mentioned before. And each one of those will give your kingdom bonuses. It'll give you bonuses if you're in there. Like if you build a world-class tavern, that makes it easier to, I think, like hear rumors and stuff like that. And uh, whenever you stop to stop adventuring to play out kingdom events, that takes basically a month. So you'll the way we, we envision it is you'll adventure for a while, then you'll stop and play a kingdom turn, which is covers the previous month, basically, that you are out adventuring. And uh, you'll make all your checks. You'll roll to see if there's weird events like plagues or, or you know, an invasion of monsters or, you know, a famous uh, celebrity visits your capital city or there's a food shortage or anything like that. And uh, then you go back to adventuring and sort of this back and forth. Uh, sort of thing as you build up your character and you build up your kingdom. So if you know how to build a character in second edition Pathfinder, you know how to build a kingdom pretty much already. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> Yay. So we talked about the, you, that there's a Pathfinder one, a DD five E bestiary. Yeah. What are those products? Cause we're talking about this being a Pathfinder two yeah. uh, uh, adventure path. Why do I want a five E bestiary? So the, Adventure Path itself and the Companion Guide, that 640-page uh, book and then the 120-page book, that in to- those books go all the way through their, their native second edition. So if you play second edition, you only need those. You don't need the other books. But we wanted to remember when we were doing this, we, we didn't know if, if second edition was going to be successful or people were going to be interested. So we wanted to not only have you know kind of uh, insurance, I guess, people who wanted to play this with <laughs> first edition or with 5e, they would still be able to, to pick up this book and play it. But at the same point, and even more importantly, we wanted to show, you know, players of other games, be they once other companies publish or that we used to publish that, you know, we're still doing these things. And, you know, maybe if they check this out, they'll come over and become second edition gamers. The idea of, of doing a full conversion for all three was never really viable. I mean, it, it would have taken another two or three years and it would have required and especially in 5e, hiring an entire new staff of, of experts in those rules because we're not, you know, familiar as those as we are with first edition Pathfinder and second edition. So the sort of, um, I guess, the compromise we decided was to make best years for these things because if you're converting an adventure, the thing that is going to be the most time consuming is converting the creature and NPC stat blocks over. And so what we did for each of these systems is we went through. The, the second edition Kingmaker product, once it was all the way done, and we count basically looked at every single NPC and monster and trap and hazard, and then we compared that to first edition Pathfinder. And if something wasn't in one of the first edition bestiaries, then we would put it into this new bestiary. And likewise with with the Five E, uh, we looked at the Five E SRD, and if there was content in there that wasn't in in um, in the adventure path, then we would move those over. So the contents of those two books are slightly different, but if you wanted to run Kingmaker in your fifth edition game, you, you would want this bestiary. Uh, you'll still have to go through and adjust, you know, treasures and like some of the skills rules and stuff like that. But it's enough to get you, it's enough to really get you started and does all of, I think the heavy lifting of converting those things over. 
And at the same point, those two books, if even if you don't run Kingmaker and you just want to pick those up, it's a monster book. You know, it's filled with all sorts of creatures that you don't have already in the system that you uh, prefer to run. That makes good sense. And I will say, Tyler and I have talked about, we have a regular group that we are interested in trying to get them to, to get into this. Mm-hmm. We've done a view of the one shots that are put out for free RPG day. Uh, and everybody loves playing Pathfinder too. It feels like a, uh, almost an insurance policy that like, look, let's commit to a long campaign in Pathfinder two. Yeah. And if for whatever reason, a part of the way through, we want to change it up. We want to play five V for a little bit. Yep. We have the ability. We can pick up that five V best year. We could play yep. and then we could even convert back. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to manage the characters and that's its own game, but you always have to create new characters, to play a new game. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of really- insurance. If you have somebody dragging their feet, you feel like, well, look, there's a, there's a safety valve. And it's really, uh, if the GM who's running the game is, fluent in both systems they'll be able to do that almost i think on the fly you know i mean i've run first edition ad and d games in second edition or first edition pathfinder and it's just a case of like well i've got the stat blocks kind of set up and everything else kind of kind of works because it's it's different rules but it's all the same sort of stories about you know running around killing dragons (laughs) or getting killed by dragons depending more often than not yes yeah (laughs) or the uh for the prospective DMs and GMs out there thinking like, I don't know if I'm ready to handle this. Mm-hmm. Your, your DM screen, your game master screen will have a table on it for improvising DCs and improvising damage. So like yes. you run into traps and stuff, you run in skill checks. Like you've got the chart right there on the table. Just like pick something level appropriate that makes sense to you. Like the tools are right there for you. It's a lot easier than you think it is. But yeah, I, I 100% agree with James. Converting stat blocks between games is very, very difficult. So yes. that part's all been done. You can figure out almost everything else on the fly. Uh, if yeah. you're worried about treasure, use a random treasure generator and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, and really treasure is, is a tricky thing anyway. I mean, even when we're publishing adventures for second edition, you know, the amount of treasure you give out, there are guidelines in the core rulebook, but they're just guidelines and you can never know if like the party is going to find all the treasure or if they do find it, if they're even going to keep some of the treasure, you know, sometimes they sell it, sometimes they break it. Uh, some groups just are not as, you know, they're not as skilled at playing their characters. So more treasure kind of builds that up. And other groups are super, super great at playing their characters and even a little bit of treasure will throw it over the, the top. So it's really, we rely a lot on the, the GM to, to adjust the adventure as I go. Those sort of skills a GM will already, I think, have. <laughs> yep. And hey, if you're playing a long-term campaign, by the time you get to level 20, you will have those skills. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, depending on how often uh, you're playing, it'll be, you know, a year, two years, three years from now. But yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, how the kingdom mechanics, do the kingdom mechanics stay pretty consistent between the new kingdom mechanics? Mm-hmm. They're backported to the pf1 so the idea is you would play the kingdom mechanics as described in the new book even if you were playing in pathfinder one yeah one of the tricky parts there is we really wanted to present focus focus on making these kingdom rules and the the narrative mass combat rules all those really as strong as we could for second edition because again that's the, the the primary goal of this this product and so we didn't really have the resources and and time to kind of they actually wouldn't work as they're described in, in first edition because it's a different architecture for the game. And um, we would have had to redesign them from the ground up. And that's, that's, it's about a hundred pages of content. So we decided instead to make them self-contained 
they are built on the architecture of the the second edition rules. So, you know, kingdoms have actions, a number of actions that they can take each turn. There's the concept of proficiency for your your skills. Um, the way levels build up, you get levels and skills, and um, it's easy. It's a pretty easy thing for a native player of second edition to pick up. But somebody who plays five e or first edition. The hope is that it's so it's self-contained enough that you won't have too much trouble. You know, it's we we take the time to explain what those proficiency ranks mean and and all of that in the in the actual rules themselves. So, and then they are uh, reprinted in the free player's guide that we put out at the same time. So, it's it's all out there to just pick up and and look through. And again, it's sort of yeah. you know this stealthy way of like if people like how those rules work. You know, there's a game that they might want to check out. <laughs> <laughs> we recently recorded a two-part series on war in tabletop rpgs and we actually referenced the free player's guide heavily because mm-hmm. yeah the the war mechanics included in there for the vast majority of cases it hits that really good sweet spot of like enough complexity to feel satisfying to play but not so much that your game turns into a war game right and and yeah, it's free and it's self-contained, so uh, it's very easy to reuse, to use for other things. Like, if you play through Kingmaker and you're like, that was great, I'd like that again. Yeah, uh, make up a new king, or a new kingdom, use the kingdom rules, and uh, yeah, it'll go great. Yeah, yeah, the war rules in particular are kind of a re- uh, super complicated reskinning of the simple <laughs> victory point mechanic we did in the Game Master Guide, where you make a check. If you do really well, you get two points. If you do good, you get one point. If you fail, you get zero points. If you really fail, critically fail, you lose a point. And then you keep making those checks until you, you know, get to a certain number of turns or whatever, and then you compare the points you make to like a chart that it, uh, charts out your success. And that's really the core mechanic for this narrative of mass combat. There's a lot of other things later on top of it. It's It's a really robust or not robust it's a really easy system to to build all sorts of different mechanics on and the game master guide has other elements that are kind of built on like influencing people and researching topics and duels and stuff like that awesome okay so you can find pathfinder second edition kingmaker at your friendly local game shop you can also find it on pathfinder nexus through demiplane are there other great places to go pick it up well, you can always get it at uh, Paizo.com, at the store, Paizo.com, Amazon, friendly local game stores. Um, we're continuing to kind of branch it out into other virtual tabletops. Uh, it's taking a while for some of them to convert it over because, as we mentioned, a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then if you're looking to actually play the adventure, so Start Playing has a few folks running uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition Kingmaker. So, yeah, yeah, go check it out. James, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Are there places folks could find you online? Uh, You can always find me lurking around on the message boards at Pison.com. I'm sort of a social media hermit, but I started to be more active on uh, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Reddit page. So you can drop by there and ask questions, and uh, hopefully I'll see it and not get lost and answer it. But but yeah, those are (laughs) probably the two best places to get a hold of me. And of course, you know, things like PaizoCon or Gen Con, which are always places that I can be approached, especially since we're doing a lot of more virtual content and uh, seminars and stuff like that. Awesome. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. 
It's a quick free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. James is cool. He hangs out with us sometimes. Uh... <laughs>